the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match. Which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. 
And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. A difference in religion can cause a lot of issues, some more catastrophic than others. On April 6, 1997, a family of Jehovah's Witnesses were questioned by a group of young teens while on a family picnic in Tennessee. Questioning that would quickly turn from bad to worse in a crime sensationalized by its religious differences. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On April 6, 1997, six young adults, ages ranging from 14 to 20, were traveling from Pikeville, Kentucky, on their way to New Orleans, when they noticed the car that they were driving wasn't likely going to make it to their final destination. So the friends began trying to come up with an easy solution and settled on stealing a car from a rest stop or a nearby dealership. They were able to make it to Greene County, Tennessee, before stopping at a picnic stop, armed themselves with two firearms, and were approached by a family who happened to be stopped at that same location. The family were the Lilylids, 34-year-old Vidar, who grew up in Norway before moving to the U.S. in 1985, his wife Delfina, 28, a first-generation Honduran-American, and their two children, six-year-old Tabitha and two-year-old Peter. The family, who were Jehovah's Witnesses, were just returning home from a religious convention when they decided to try and speak to the two members of the group about their views on religion. As more of the group started to show up, 20-year-old Joseph Reisner pulled out one of the weapons, pointed it at the family, and said, I hate to do you this way, but we are going to have to take you with us for your van. What started out as a simple share in beliefs soon turned into a full-blown hostage situation when the whole Lily Lid family was forced into their van while Vidar offered them both his wallet and keys in exchange for his family's safety. Joseph refused and held the gun on, on Vidar from the passenger seat as the terrified husband and father drove where he was told. As he called the shots, 14-year-old Jason Bryant, 18-year-old Natasha Cornett, and 17-year-old Karen Howell sat in the back with the rest of the Lilylid family, while 19-year-old Dean Mullins and 18-year-old Crystal Sturgill followed behind in Joseph's car. Delfina attempted to keep her children calm, but was ordered by Jason to stop singing to them while Joseph directed Vidar to the interstate and then off to a secluded road near Greenville. They were then lined up against a ditch along the road and, one by one, shot to death. In total, Vidar was shot six times, once in the head and five more times in the chest. Delfina was shot eight times, run over by the van and lay conscious for 25 minutes before finally taking her last breath, and Tabitha was shot once in the head, causing immediate brain death. She was later rushed to the hospital where her uncle, now her legal guardian, made the difficult decision to take her off of life support and donate her organs. Two-year-old Peter was shot twice during the event. One shot entered behind his right eye while the other went through his back. He was rushed to a Tennessee hospital where, thankfully, he survived the attack, though he was left without one of his eyes, spent a lot of time in rehab, 
and has experienced lasting disabilities throughout the rest of his life. The murderous group left the family to die, as well as Joseph Reisner's car, sans registration plates, and continued their journey to New Orleans in the Lilylids van. While stopping in Georgia to get some food, they abruptly left the restaurant when a group of officers entered and decided to abandon New Orleans in favor of Mexico. Unfortunately for them, when they reached the border, they were denied admittance because they didn't have the proper forms of identification. They found another way in and, while in Mexico, Jason Bryant was shot in the hand and leg. The group was stopped by Mexican police and, when they searched the stolen van, they found a knife and a family photo album belonging to the Lilylids. Two days after the murder, they were ordered back into the U.S. where, there to greet them at the border, was a line of patrol officers who were ready to arrest each and every single one of them and take them to jail in Arizona. So who were these kids who, when faced with a simple problem, chose to murder almost an entire family? Well, as their stories unfolded, so did a wide debate on good versus evil. On one side was the Lilylid family, who were, according to most, the embodiment of innocence. They were immigrants who made a life for themselves in the U.S. and were steadfast in their faith. On the other side was a group of young adults and teens who embodied what most believe is evil. Their hairstyles, goth fashion choices, and piercings, combined with stories of occultism and witchcraft, soon painted a very dark picture of the group of killers. There was Joseph Reisner, who was described as a good student with a good work ethic until his mother and stepfather divorced, resulting in drug abuse, inappropriate sexual relationships, and failure in school. He attended Betsy Lane High School, where he met Karen Howell, his younger girlfriend, joined the Army but was discharged for drugs, got his GED, and started technical school. Karen's childhood was wrought with violence as she watched her parents fight until their divorce when she was nine years old. Her IQ growing up was just 78, and she said she had been sexually abused throughout most of her childhood. She lived with her mother, who she fought with constantly until she was 14 years old, had a history of self-harm, dysfunction in school, rebellion, drug use, and an interest in witchcraft. Despite all of this and a story about trying to bite a friend's arm off while on LSD, she had no history of violence or any criminal record until she met Joseph and Natasha Cornett, and they went on their little road trip. Most of the sensation about the case revolved around 18-year-old Natasha. Natasha spent most of her life below the poverty line, but was considered kind and polite until she entered the sixth grade. After that, she barely skated by before dropping out entirely in the ninth grade, started abusing drugs and alcohol, and earned her first arrest at the age of 14 for forgery and shortly after threatened her mother with a knife and earned an assault charge. She was married when she was only a teen, but after only 10 months, divorced her husband, Steve. Natasha was known to wear all black, cut herself and drink her own blood, and signed her name backwards to spell out Ah Satan. Now behind bars, she would even claim to be Satan's own daughter. Another member of the group was a boy named Edward Dean Mullins, who, after leaving during his 12th grade year, got his GED. He had no criminal record and, according to family, was a good kid until he met Natasha Cornett, whom he planned on marrying. Crystal Rena Sturgill, a good friend of Edward's, was a senior at the same high school as the other kids and, like the others, became heavily involved in drugs and alcohol. 
She was known as a good kid, even worked in a daycare and had no criminal history, though she had been suspended from school a number of times. She was neglected in her home and accused her stepfather of sexual abuse, after which she hopped from home to home before moving in with Edward Mullins. The last and youngest member of the group was Jason Blake Bryant, who had a low IQ and the emotional and social skills of an 11-year-old. He began drinking and taking drugs when he was just three years old and was in eighth grade when he met Natasha Cornett, just a month before the murders. As the trial began, the DA said that, despite the fact that the only proven shooter in the murders was Jason Bryant, he felt justice wouldn't be served unless all six were charged with murder. A plea bargain was created that offered to take the death penalty off the table if all six pled guilty to the crimes. This plea was contingent on the cooperation and agreement of all six. Karen Howell, who was assigned a public defender who had never worked a murder case, claimed she wanted to fight it out in court, but was threatened by the deaths of her other friends and caved under pressure. All six defendants signed the plea on March 25th, 1998, and were convicted of felony murder, attempted murder, and carjacking that resulted in murder, and all six were given a life sentence with no possibility of parole. According to an Arizona officer, Jason Bryant admitted to firing the shots that killed Vidara Lillilid, but because he admitted this before the officer read him his rights and the plea bargain, this testimony was never heard, and he later changed his story to implicate Dean Mullins and Joseph Reisner. In the end, though, no one is talking and the true gunman remains unknown. Behind bars, Natasha Cornett continued to make headlines. In 2001, she and another inmate attacked a fellow prisoner and nearly strangled her to death with a shoelace. Though there wasn't enough evidence to convict her and in 2009, she came forward stating that she wanted to have her convictions overturned and named Joseph and Jason as the gunmen blaming her being dubbed the ringleader on her first lawyer, who was later taken off of her case. In fact, she claimed that, rather than instigate the whole thing, she attempted to stop the murders, even getting in between the children and Jason's gun. In the end, though, it's her word against the others, and we are no closer to knowing the truth about what transpired that day off the Tennessee highway. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on April 7th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.